if you have Netflix, I've noticed that people are watching two things. One, Bird Box. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I think I heard that had the largest first week viewing of any movie in history. I think it was streamed 45 million times uh, in its first week out. And then the other one that everybody's watching is Marie Kondo and Tidying Up. You watched it? Have you watched it yet? You got to watch it. Uh, Jamie, you watched it? No. You hadn't watched it? Yeah, uh, well, Marcy is the biggest Marie Kondo uh, evangelist in the, uh, in the world, and so that's a fact. <laughs> um, everybody's watching this tidying up thing. It seems like at the beginning of the year, everybody wants to uh, create margin in their, in their life, and that's what this show is tapping into. I don't know how long it's been on Netflix. I think it's pretty new, but I think it's a very timely release. When people start the year, it seems like we want fresh beginnings, new beginnings, and, uh, and, and I love, I, I think it's so cheesy, but it is so funny. She makes you hold every shirt and everything and be like, does this bring you joy? And so Natalie, like, I'm, I'm offloading stuff. She's like, now, does this shirt bring you joy? I'm like, babe, it's a shirt. I don't care. Throw it out. Like, I wore it no times last year. It can go in the bag. Um, but, man, we want to create breathing room in our closets. We want to create breathing room in our schedules. We want to create breathing room everywhere and because everybody has limits. You know, like last week, we, we used this table as an example. And so often, we live out on the edges, and yet all of us have limits. Like, there's only so far that we can go with our finances and our time and our relationships. There's only so much margin. And when we always constantly live on the edge, we endanger ourselves because out on the edges is anxiety, is stress, is relational breakdown, is temptation. When we constantly live out on the edge... Uh, we open ourselves up to make decisions that we never would have made otherwise. And so God would have us have breathing room. And so Renee uh, put this up so good. We find breathing room at our margins by clarifying and pursuing what's central. And if there's one big idea for this whole series, it's that. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. And in 33, which is one of my life verses, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And what Jesus is saying is, when you can clarify what's central, you're seeking God first, then all the stuff on the edges God adds. But we don't have to live out on the edges, constantly pursuing the edges, if we're clear on what's central in our hearts and in our life. And so that really is the main idea of this series. Today we're going to talk about creating financial breathing room. Now I'll be honest, I hate talking about money uh, as a pastor. I've been a pastor now for 20 years, and in 20 years, I have to discipline myself almost every year. There were uh, 10 years where I was working with teenagers, and and every year, I would talk about money with teenagers because they have a shocking amount of money that actually flows through their accounts, even as teenagers. And with adults, every year, I try to talk about money a little bit. In fact, almost every week, at some point, I try to talk about money. I hate doing it. One, I fear that people will question my motives. As a pastor, if he's talking about money, is he just talking about giving to the church? Two, I hate talking about money because I know what a struggle money can be. I grew up in a home with a single mom who worked three jobs, and there were some months where the money just wasn't there. I remember one month, the money absolutely was not there. We had no money. We had no groceries. Mom went to the mailbox, and there was a check in the mailbox that God had provided. Now, she, to this day, I mean, 30-something years later, has no idea who did that, but um, I know that money can be a struggle. I know that there's external pressure 
on all of us. There's cultural pressure that we've got to have a certain standard of living and we've got to look a certain way and all these things. I know there's internal fear when it comes to money as well. If I live a different way, then will there be enough? If I live by faith, well, everybody think I'm crazy because we're not trying to keep up with the Joneses and all of those things. And then third, I'm a work in progress in this area of money. Uh, you know, your, your experiences at a young age totally shape you. And my experiences of growing up without a, a lot of the time, uh, rather than create deep-seated trust in God's provision, actually uh, produced a fear in me. Uh, and so I don't like talking to the people I pastor out money because I struggle at times with fear of will there be enough, uh, to be totally honest. But uh, in response to those things, Jesus talked about money all the time. You know, Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about hell. That's pretty incredible. Jesus talked about money in this life more than he talked about uh, eternally being separated from God. That's a crazy uh, thought. And as a church, we want to preach all the Bible. Like, we don't want to just talk about the things we like and avoid the things we don't like. And so because of that, because Jesus talked about it, and because we want to preach the whole counsel of the Bible, I don't feel like I have to apologize. Like, if somebody has an issue, their issue really is with Jesus when it comes to money and finances. Second, I think we all have to decide if external things are going to pressure us, or if internal things are going to bully us, or if the eternal is going to guide us. This is hard. This is a heart decision. Am I going to let external pressure, internal fear bully me and push me around? Or am I going to live by a set of like bedrock convictions that are going to guide convictions that are going to guide me? And if the latter is true, then we don't cave into pressure. Or when we do, we repent and sort of get back in the fight. And then the third thing, because I struggle with money, hopefully when we talk about money and finances and breathing room, hopefully you'll hear humility. And not, hey, guys, I've got all this solved, and we're actually millionaires. Surprise, like, we know how to do this. Listen to me. I'm a genius on this. As a work in progress, hopefully you'll hear humility, and hopefully you'll get God's wisdom and God's strength, even out of our family's uh, weakness. So let's talk about breathing room and money. Here's a couple of stats for you. You know the average American has $38,000 in debt. That's pretty incredible. That's an incredible statistic. That debt... Uh, totals as Americans. We have $13.3 trillion in debt. That's one, three, three, and then eight zeros, if I'm doing it correctly. That is a lot of money. I believe our national debt is around $21 trillion. If I remember the math right, or maybe even a little more than that now, that's a lot of debt. The average American household has $8,284 in credit card debt. Only 23% of Americans have no debt. Uh, literally 77% of us have some type of debt that, that is sort of like hanging over our heads at all, the point, at all times. And this is incredible to me. I, I'd heard this before. Um, if an emergency, if a $400 emergency came up, if, if let's say you had to get tires, two tires, and the tires were $200 a piece, 47% of Americans would have to borrow or sell or do something worse to pay that $400. We are living financially as a culture with no breathing room. Like we don't have $400 worth of breathing room out on the edge. Most Americans, and maybe you, have no margin for saving, no margin for long-range needs, or for generous giving because we have debt and spending problems. It's just, that's a fact. Like we 
are the richest country in the history of the world, and yet, at the same time, we have the least margin of, we have less margin than we can even conceive on the whole. And so today, I want us to talk about the title of the sermon is Learning to Be Rich. It's not learning to get rich, it's learning to be rich, because I think a lot of the time, uh, well, the truth is, if you make $30,000 a year, I know that's not everybody, but if you make $30,000 a year, we'll just use that as kind of a baseline, uh, you are richer than 96% of the people on earth. If you make $30,000, you are richer than 96% of the people on uh, planet earth, and so planet earth looks at us and says, oh, all you people are rich. You Americans are rich, and we want to be like you, and we want the resources that you have. And so our problem is a perspective problem, and we don't need to try to get rich. We actually need to learn how to be rich, because we already are, on some level, uh, very rich. And so we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. I didn't grab the page number for you, and I am really sorry. Um, in my Bible, it's way in the back. 1 Timothy is uh, way in the back, okay? Uh, it's 994 in mine. So uh, let me see if I can help you. If you can find the book, what page is it, Alicia? 1093, 1 Timothy. Boom, Alicia did it. Tell it one more time. 1093. 1093. Thank you. And you got the large print, I assume. Yeah. yeah. First you had like a look of panic as I asked you that. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, large print, definitely. 1 Timothy chapter 6, page 1093. Oh, sorry, 1096 for chapter 6. 1096, Alicia corrected herself. Thank you for doing that. That was fast. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, three verses, starting in verse 17. Now, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or puffed up or arrogant, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous uh, and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now we're going to go through sort of verse by verse if we can. Those who are rich in this age, he starts off. Paul's writing to Timothy. It's kind of his protege. And he's saying, when you pastor people, teach them, those who are rich in that age, to, to not be haughty, to set, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set their hope on God. And most of us are incredibly rich by world standards. Now, we don't think we're rich because we compare ourselves, I, we can tend to compare ourselves to Beacon Hill or to Brookline or to Newton or to Melrose. But if we compare ourselves to the Congo or to Kazakhstan or Colombia, we are incredibly rich. Rich is such a matter of perspective. We don't feel rich so often, but we are. And the world looks at us and sees insanely rich people. If, if you brought the average person from almost anywhere in the world and set them in here this morning, they'd be like, man, I'm, having, I'm in church with a bunch of rich people. This is a great day. And some of us look around, we're like, man, we're not rich. We're barely making it. We have no margin over here. We can barely make it. 96% of the world would sit in here today and be like, you are the richest people I've ever seen in real life, in my life. We are rich in this age, regardless of what we feel like. And so Paul uh, tells Timothy, tell them, don't be haughty. Don't be puffed up. Don't hope in your riches. Our riches are super uncertain. Our riches 
are super uncertain. We've seen that in my adult life. I feel like there have been the last decade or now I guess a decade and a half. It's amazing uh, events that seem like they just happened a couple of years ago have now happened 15, 20 years ago. Uh, I'm getting old right before my eyes. Uh, I feel like there have been moments where the stock market has done like this. And I had a buddy and the crash of 08 or 09 or whatever that was. He said his retirement in one day, he lost 10 years of retirement. Man, that's uncertainty. And Paul says to Timothy, tell them, like, don't put your hope in riches. That stuff's uncertain. It's uncertain. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth uh, comes in and eats and destroys or where thieves come in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven. When our hope is in riches, riches are uncertain. And so he says, put your hope in God. And I love this because... When I think of church and money, I think of guilt. I've been to so many church services in my life where uh, the pastor just makes people feel like trash if they don't give enough money. And if you're not giving X, Natalie grew up. It was not until she was a later teenager that she thought she had to give half of her money to God. If she got $10 for her birthday, she thought she had to give five. So when her parents told her later, no, 10% is a good number. Like she was ready to turn cartwheels. Uh, because she had been made to feel guilty uh, and misunderstanding that she wasn't giving enough, giving enough, giving enough. But at the end of 17, Paul says, set their hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. To enjoy. Money is not bad. Money is not the root of all evil. That's one of the most, most quoted imaginary verses in the Bible. The Bible actually says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's good. I hope you get insanely rich and you become the most generous people in this city. I hope I become insanely rich. Like when that Mega Millions thing was happening, I was like, and I heard the winner was in the upstate of South Carolina. I thought, oh, oh, Jesus. Jesus, take the wheel. Let me know that person. Let me know I'm Lord. I didn't. I know the exact gas station where that winning ticket was sold. I didn't know the kid. Man. Kids like 20-something years old, life changed forever. Um, hadn't even cashed the lottery ticket in yet because he knows how, how much his life is about to change. But man, God gives us money to enjoy, to enjoy, not to feel guilty, not to feel shame, not to feel paranoid about, and certainly not to sit in church and feel any of those emotions. God gives richly, he provides so that we can enjoy. Christian, if Jesus is Lord of your life, now, this is the trick. We're to be stewards of those resources. We're managers. See, our problem, I think a lot of times as Christians is, we think we own it, and so we walk into church and we feel guilty. And pastors will heap up a false guilt on church people and on Christians that God never intended for us to carry. Now, one, it's a shame if a pastor makes someone feel guilty about anything, an earthly guilt. But two, it's a shame if we think that we own it. If I think, um, okay, Natalie and I are going to give X percent of our uh, paycheck to God every month to, through the church, and, but then I've got, but the other 90 percent is just mine to do whatever I want. That's a wrong perspective. If we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, God is the owner of all of it. God owns my life. He owns my house. He owns my car. He's the owner of my kids. He's the owner of my marriage. He's the owner of me. He's the owner of my mind, my heart, my desires, my, 
my emotions. He's the owner of all of it, and I am a steward. I'm to manage everything that God has entrusted to me. And so as a manager and not an owner, I understand that God provides it. So I can enjoy it because I didn't earn it. That's hard to remember. I'm not responsible for keeping my job. You're not responsible for keeping your job. God provided your job. God will maintain your job. Hopefully, we'll all continue to have the health to work and the economy will be okay. Dan uh, works for the Coast Guard and he's in the middle of this season of government shutdown. So we were just talking. I hope you don't mean sharing this. Dan gets to work every day for free right now. And uh, he was just talking about... Now, it's not quite like that, but you know, like we've all read the news or seen the news. He has a lot of employees uh, who are further down on the kind of chain of command in the military who are freaking out right now because their provision is really in jeopardy day to day and paycheck to paycheck. Man, God is in control of you guys' finances. It was so cool talking with Dan in the faith because they created breathing room as a family. They're not feeling the squeeze that some others are, and just the faith that God's got this. He's going to take care of it. God provides. We didn't earn it. We can't guarantee it, but he loves us, and he's taking care of us. So we enjoy it. We enjoy it. Um, One of the biggest churches in America was 10 miles from where we lived before. It was a church of 30,000 people. And there was a woman in our church who was um, the pastor's, uh, she she was like the one who kept the books for the church. And she told me one day, she was so mad. She said, do you know what he makes? Do you know what he makes? And um, it was almost like he should just be doing all of this for free, like leading a a church of $30,000 for free. And I told her in that moment, I said, listen, it's not what you have that's important. And this is actually worth writing down. It's not what you have that's important in God's economy, but what you do with what you have. And even more, it's, it's what you have is doing to you. It's not so much about what you have, but it's about, what, it's about what, what you have is doing to you and I. What we have, what is it doing to us? We have to be careful with that. Paul says, as for the rich, don't teach them, don't be haughty, don't put their hope on riches, but hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In verse 18, he says, Now the rich in this age, that's us, are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. We're to do good. We're to be rich in good works. What ought to mark followers of Jesus is wealth and good works. That we just have generous hearts. Man, I... I love seeing the generosity of your guys' hearts. It's one of my favorite things about being the pastor of our little church. Scott and Baskin walked in uh, maybe 10 minutes late today, and we were chuckling at it. And like they were like, sorry, we're late, boss. And I'm like, dude, you guys are amazing. You come an hour and 15 minutes early every Sunday. Every one of you sitting in this room, if I said, hey, this week we're going to do this in our community, or we're going to give to this thing, or we're going to do so, every one of you would jump in because you... Um, as followers of Jesus, are, and as part of a church plant where you can't just come and sit and hide on Sundays right now, right? Like, you are learning to be rich in good works, and it's in your heart, and it flows out of you. And Paul says to Timothy, tell the people you pastor, be rich in good works, do good things, be generous and ready to share. Live generously, he says. Now, 
If we, as followers of Jesus, have no margin out on the edges, it becomes hard to be generous. And this is not just true with our money. This is true with our time. This is true in our relationships. If we're living with no breathing room, it's hard to give generously. And so, to obey the scripture that Paul tells Timothy, okay, teach them to be generous. Teach those who are rich in this age to be generous and rich in good works. If it's hard for us to do that because there's no margin, then biblically, logically, we've got to get margin. We've got to begin to get uh, margin. And so he goes on. I love this. This is my favorite. I wasn't even going to preach this verse, and I was reading it uh, in preparation for this week. And have you ever had like a cinder block of emotion fall on your chest and you're like, Phew, that's good. That is good. I want to read you verse 19. It says this, they're to do good, be rich in good works, be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Generosity is the foundation, the architecture for the future. And he doesn't say generosity is the foundation for eternity. Generosity, having margin and taking that margin and living generously, is the foundation for the future. That's, the, that's what you want to build the house of your finances and your life on, is generosity. We want, that's a good foundation. I tend to think a good foundation is saving and hanging on to stuff. My boys are going to have to go to college one day. I tend to think i got to get margin and hang on to everything because that's a good foundation for me and for them. I've got to save thousands and thousands of dollars so that we'll have a buffer and we'll be okay. The Bible says, Paul says, the foundation is not hanging on to and living to the edges. The foundation, a good foundation, is over here in the margin living generously. It's sitting in my notes, but... Uh, In the book of Leviticus, I think it's in Leviticus, we can go and check. Um, God tells the people who own the land, he says, when when you go to uh, glean your fields, leave the edges so that those who are poor can come and have something to get and something to eat. The same principle is true for our finances. We ought to have margin to help those who are vulnerable because when we were vulnerable, God helped us. That's a foundation for the future, for all of us. Whether you are a teenager or the oldest adult, we all need to look at our money and begin to build in margin uh, for generosity. Generosity, stewardship, breathing room financially provide that, he says, that which is truly life. That which is truly life. It's having breathing room and living generously. So in Matthew 6, uh, 24... Jesus says this. Let me flip over there. You don't have to flip. I'll just read it to you. My fingers are so cold right now that it's hard to turn the pages. In uh, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, Nobody can serve two masters, for either he hates the one, he loves the other, or he's devoted to one and despises the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or the actual word is or wealth, or mammon. You can't serve God and wealth. You can't serve them both. You either love one and hate the other. We tend to think we can manage both. I tend to think as a kid who grew up without a ton that I can do both. But the Bible says 
we can't do both. And so the kingdom of money is in opposition, the kingdom of wealth, to the kingdom of God. We can't serve both simultaneously, and there is no third kingdom. Now, the kingdom of money says a couple things. The kingdom of money, and the kingdom of money, rich, is a moving target. Most people, when interviewed, say that rich is two times what they currently make. So if I make 30000 I would say I'm rich when I make sixty. If I make a hundred. When I make 200, then I would be rich. Rich is a constantly moving target. It's like the carrot that dangles out, they dangle out in front of us that we can never arrive at. In the kingdom of money, rich is a moving target. In the kingdom of God, rich is my current state. It's a perspective. If I make more than $30,000, I'm rich. And I just have to accept that that's what it is. In the, when I was in the sixth grade, you know, we had that, pres- do you remember the presidential fitness thing? I don't think they do that anymore because everybody has to get a trophy nowadays. Um, I remember we had to run the mile. Eric, listen, this is incredible. Sixth grade, Eric Mack, Brooke Reed, Kawaki Thomas, David Rogers. Out of our class of 65, 70 kids, those were the four kids who beat me in the mile. Now, I beat about 60 kids in that mile. By all accounts, I was fast. But I, it, it drove me crazy that I wasn't faster than Eric, Kiwaki, uh, and then uh, Brooke and David. It made me crazy that I wasn't faster than them. I couldn't accept that I was fast. Listen, if we're going to live by the kingdom of wealth, we're always going to think somebody else is richer. I could always be richer, and we can't accept that rich is our current state. We always want more. Fast, it's the idea of fast versus faster. And, uh, man, God would have us be content with where we are. The second thing that happens in the kingdom of money is it becomes, and this is worth writing down, it becomes about standard of living. In the kingdom of money, God, uh, or in the kingdom of money, we're anxious about our standard of living. And so we feel like we have to, because we got to have a higher standard of living, we feel like we have to do more work. And when we have to do more work, that takes more time. And, uh, and so we want to get this financial breathing room. We think we've got to increase our standard of living. So we come out to the edges. So we do more work. We give more time. We've got to make more money. Uh, but usually that's because we've taken on more debt. To have a higher standard of living, typically we don't have breathing room. We don't have $400 as a culture. And so we take on more debt which causes stress. And then the third thing, we become busier. And so we lose margin in our relationships because we're so busy. So uh, all these demands for a higher standard of living leave us distracted and busy and anxious and with no margin. But in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Jesus, it's not about standard of living. And this, again, it's worth writing down. It's not about standard of living. It's about quality of life. Nat and I were talking about our first house this week, we bought it 14 years ago, almost 15 years ago now. It was a little yellow house. We thought that house was the greatest. We thought it was the greatest. And if we were, this week, she goes, you know, that was just some standard grade. They just build it in a subdivision, like, just to have another house in the block. It's nothing special about that house. 
So that house, that house was great. And we had all our ugly mismatched furniture. You know what I mean? Like our furniture was ugly. Uh, it was like stuff that she found at yard sales or on the side of the road. And like that was our house, man. We thought it was incredible. And we were young and in love and life was good. And we had our ugly end tables that didn't match and our ugly dishes. And I remember she painted the kitchen one time in green. She thought it was going to look this one way. It didn't look that way. But... Man, we were in love and happy. We had tons of quality of life. You know what's happened? Those are the happiest times in our marriage. We had the least and the worst stuff we ever had. But we had quality of life. At other times, we have pushed to the edges to increase our uh, standard of living, and it did not bring quality of life. And so those who are rich in this age ought to build in breathing room, understanding that coming out to the edge does not increase our quality of life. The best quality of life often was the time where we had the least. And so I want to tell you just a few quick principles here. Whether you're Christian or not, uh, I think six of these are true. The last one will be just geared toward Christians. One, Christian or not, we all have to acknowledge that we're rich. We all have to acknowledge that we're rich. We say it often uh, because statistically, um, the richer we get, the less generous we become. Statistically, the richer people become, the less generous they become. It's just a fact, like surveys prove that out. And so if we can say, I'm already rich, then that will free us to begin to live generously. And it has nothing to do with making more. It's just an understanding, I'm already rich, uh, I can be generous, and generosity is the sure foundation for that which is truly life. Verse 19. Number two, Christian or not, these are biblical principles. You need to know where your money comes from. Christian or not, we need to understand that God is the one who gives us our jobs and our money and everything that we have. He gives us the ability to earn it. He gives us the position that we earn it in, and he is the one who allows us to keep doing that uh, day after day. These are all gifts from God. We didn't earn them. I don't, I mean, as much as like I feel like I earned my paycheck when I get it, I didn't earn it. God provided it. He gave it to me and for all of us, he could take it away tomorrow. Some of you work incredibly hard. And as your pastor, like I want you to know, I, your work ethic is inspiring to me. But understand that God is the one who gives us those jobs and allows them to keep them and gives us the paycheck. Third, we need to know, and these will get increasingly possibly less comfortable, by the way. We need to know where your money is going. You need to know where your money is going. I want to encourage you. You need to track it for one to three months and know where it goes. Uh, my mom gives us some cash at Christmas. She always puts in an ornament and hides it on the tree and then like, myself and Natalie and my brother and his wife are like scrambling to try to find it because there's one that's always impossibly hidden. And so at the beginning of the year, we're just doing everything by cash, you know, we've got some gift cards at Christmas and stuff. And so every day right now, we're like, okay, what'd you spend today? What'd you spend? And after a month or two, we can begin to see where there's not alignment. Last year, we spent too much money on coffee and eating out. Way too much money. Dan, you agree? Are you talking about me that I spent too much? That's you. I'm sorry. I know. We need to track where our money is going. You need to track it for one to three months. And uh, 
I would encourage you to look into Dave Ramsey's book, Total Money Makeover. Uh, check it out from the library if you have a spending problem. Don't go buy something else if you already have a spending problem. It's free at the library. Uh, get it from there. And you need to have a budget. And we're going to put a budget, a sample budget, in the weekly email this week. So that'll be there. Just look out for that. Uh, you need to know where your money is going. Fourth, uh, again, getting more uncomfortable, you need to eliminate debt. That's a biblical principle. You know, we can talk about we need to read the Bible more, we need to go to church more, we can pray more. It's just as biblical. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about hell. We need to eliminate debt. Most of us hate the consequences of debt, but we don't hate it. We don't actually hate the debt enough to act. We have, we wanna, I want to help you. We have tools as a church. We have coaching as a church. We can help you. My brother was coaching a couple one time. They had tons of debt. I mean, tons of debt. And my brother was like, he said, okay, I'm going to take over your spending. You show me every penny that goes out, and we'll get your money straight. And after a month, like, they were killing it. They were paying off credit cards. They were making some progress, really, because they had tightened the screws. And then they show up at my brother's one night. And my brother goes, all right, let's see, let's see your spending. And he had gone out and bought a boat. <laughs> right? And she had gone out and just, I can't remember what she did, but I just remember the boat. And he goes, you don't actually hate the debt. You hate the consequence of the debt. You just don't want to deal with the debt. And he said, I'm not coaching you anymore. You're done. Good luck. Man, we've got to not just hate the consequence, the anxiety, the stress, the uncertainty, the temptation that comes from out here on the edge. We've actually got to hate the debt and begin to eliminate debt and come back to the center We've got to come back. When we get breathing room on the margins, on the edges, when we realize what is central and we begin to seek that first to the exclusion of this out here. Fifth, this one's a little lighter, enjoy. I want to tell you, if you don't hear anything else today, I want to tell you God gives you your money for you to enjoy. The Bible says it in verse 17. Enjoy your money. God gives money for needs like bills and house and all that stuff. He gives money for saving he gives money so that we can give generously. And he gives money for enjoying. Don't let a false worldly uh, guilt creep in about your, how you enjoy what God has provided to you. Don't feel guilty. If you walk out of here today and you feel like I heaped some guilt on you, then you did not hear what was said. And you need to listen to the podcast when it goes up on Tuesday. Do not feel guilty about your resources. God has provided them for you to enjoy them. I don't give my kids money so they feel guilty about how they spent it. And God would not do that. His heart is way better as a father than mine is. Enjoy your money as an act of worship. If you go out to eat, if Renee gets some extra money and he decides, man, I'm going to go eat the meal of my life. I'm going to eat the meal of my life. I mean, just all the courses, everything. He doesn't have to sit there at the restaurant and feel guilty about that. Enjoy every bite. God provided that. And God has given you margin to do that. Go do it. Enjoy it. It's a gift from God. Let that be an act of worship, just like singing or reading the Bible or praying. Enjoy what God has given you. Six, invest in eternal causes. Generosity begins now. Giving should be joyful. These are, th this is my take on giving generously. 
Giving should be joyful. There's our little offering basket right over there. It's starting to get kind of raggedy. If you ever put money in that or you give online, if this is your church, I think you ought to be. But if you can't do that, like if you do that, you're like, I hate JD and I hate writing this check and I hate all of it. Like, don't give it. God loves a cheerful giver. I think, I think giving should be joyful. It should be joyful. I think, I think uh, giving biblically should be generous. We give as a family in percentages. We give in percentages. We've set the percentage. Everybody may set that differently, but I want to encourage you when you give, do it as a percentage of something. Like say, man, we're going to start at 1%. I'm going to start at 2%. I'm going to do 10%. Whatever it is that you decide, let it be in your heart between you and God. And if you're married, between you and your spouse. And I, but I think it should be uh, generous and it should be percentage giving. And then the next thing, I think it should be regular. It should be regular. We, we, uh, when we give, it's the first thing that we do each paycheck or each month. It's the first thing that comes out. If that means as a family that we don't go out or we don't do something, God is going to get the first of what we have come in. Because I think that's a biblical principle. And so I want to encourage you to invest in eternal uh, causes. Christian, if you're a Christian, I want to tell you that you're a steward. Manage the king's resources, 100% of them. You're not the owner. We're the managers. And God is the king. And so manage to his glory 100% of what he sends to you. But just as much as that, get to know the king's heart. That would be the funnest thing to me about, uh, like, let's, we're watching Designated Survivor. Uh, we finished, Chris, we finished uh, season one this week. We binge watched that thing. Once we get there, we're like, kids, get in bed. We got TV to watch tonight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so we're watching Designated Survivor. I love politics, and uh, it's just dramatic enough that Nat can handle it. And, um, and so we were watching it this week. I'm thinking, man, it would be amazing to work in the White House. And Nat goes, God, they got a lot of drama in this show. I was like, I think that's maybe what it's like all the time in there. You know, we just don't get to hear about it. How cool would it be to be in the inner circle of the most powerful person in the world? Similarly, God has entrusted 100% of the resources he's given to us, to us, we get to be in his circle, inner circle financially. Steward that stuff well. Steward it really well and get to know the king's heart in doing that. Renee, if you'll put up that last slide for me. Um, I think this is the root of it. This is the biggest idea today. Margin breed, can, it can, having margin here can breed generosity and generosity is the response to God's generous, gracious love. The wrong approach to talking about money in church is to say, now you need to give and you need to feel guilty and you got to do all that. I've sat in those church services. I mean, you leave feeling like they have just tied, a pastor has just tied a cinder block around your neck of guilt and you've got to carry that. I think generosity happens. We begin to build in margin, and with that margin, we can live generously when we begin to realize how generous God has been to us. God, who is rich, became poor to make us rich. That's the gospel. God, who is rich, became poor to make us rich. We can never do that. God did it. That's the gospel. God gave everything 
when we had nothing to offer. We had nothing to offer. God gave everything. He sent his son. His son died. I read this week um, The Hiding Place by Corey Tim Boom. If you've never read that, uh, it's uh, about a Christian family and uh, the Netherlands who were hiding Jews during uh, the, the Nazi Third Reich, and they're arrested and sent in the concentration camp. There were moments where I wept out loud reading the book. I'm sitting there reading something to Natalie in front of the kids, just crying uh, my eyes out. And uh, at one moment in particular, these two sisters who are in this concentration camp are talking about how Jesus was crucified naked. And artists over the centuries have put like a loincloth on Jesus to sort of give him dignity and not make us uncomfortable. Yet the truth is Jesus died naked on the cross for us. Like God gave everything. Went down to the bottom of humility. Went to the bottom when we had nothing to offer. Nothing to bring to the operation. That's the gospel. And so margin, we begin to build in margin, not out of a sense of guilt. Guilt will never get you anywhere. Freedom will begin to free us to build in margin, to eliminate debt, to save, to live generously. Margin breeds generosity. Generosity is the response to God's generous love that he's shown us at the cross and the empty tomb. Let me pray for us.